I want to welcome you to church today, especially those who may be tuning in online and to those that are here. We are going to continue in our series of teachings in the book of Genesis. Today we're going to look at the second chapter of Genesis. Now for those of you who are technology driven or you live in the computer world or I mean we all use computers at this point. But you can divide that group of people really into two groups. So there are the Apple people. And then there's the Microsoft people. So, that's all right. Okay. So, this is, this is not a promotion today for either one of those companies, but I'll get to the point. So, with Microsoft, you know, the creator of Microsoft is Bill Gates. And when you use Microsoft products, the operating system is Windows, right? And with Apple, the creator of Apple in that company is, was Steve Jobs. And the operating system is Mac OS. Now, both of these two companies and these two operating systems in particular try to accomplish the same thing. Some might do it a little better than others. But in the digital world, you know, we, we deal with communication and we access the internet and there's photo and videos. And while they both do the same thing, they accomplish it completely in different ways. And if you've ever used one or the other, you know that if you're in the Mac world and that operating system, it doesn't translate and it doesn't work the same in the Microsoft world and vice versa. And each of these companies communicate a story, if you will, or a narrative on why their product works better. And right about now you're saying, Alan, what on earth does this have to do with Genesis chapter 2? Well, the human experience and our existence is actually pretty similar to these two different operating systems. Now, we call it a biblical worldview or there's a humanistic worldview. But as we're going to discuss today, you're going to find out that there are different operating systems or different stories or different narratives, one which is false and one which is true. And pastor and theologian Kevin DeYoung, I believe he said it best when he said, we will never agree on the trees if we're looking at different forests. Understanding this, we will never agree on the subplots of the human experience if we aren't reading and telling the same story. Genesis opening chapters introduce us to God's story about the human experience. Genesis chapter 2 reveals to us what it means to be human. It reveals the purpose of God's creation of men and women. It speaks to the importance of work and what we are to do. It clearly defines who's in charge and who sets the rules for living. It also brings clarity to human sexuality and lays the foundation of marriage. Now today, we're going to look at the purpose of creation, our calling, and the significance of obedience to Christ. We'll rediscover our identity as human beings and embrace the true story of humanity. Next week, I hope you come back because we're going to be tackling the true story of human sexuality and marriage. Let us pray. Father, it can be confusing to live in a world that is pushing different stories, different narratives, different messages about what it means to be human. 
But today we look to the source of truth. We look to you and that is your word. And we understand that through your word, we find what it means to be human. So I pray that you would help us in our thinking, that your spirit would speak to us today. In your name we pray, amen. Now, as we continue our series of teachings from the book of Genesis, we do so with an understanding about Moses, its author. Moses was communicating a message of hope to people looking to escape despair. This was the first recorded message, the first recorded sermon. And for some 400 years, as the Israelites were in Egypt, Egyptian slavery had stripped them of their identity and purpose as God's chosen people. And a new story, a false story, had replaced it. A story and culture that revolved around idolatry and misplaced worship. A false narrative had been ingrained into their thinking and passed on from generation to the next. And Moses understood that before they could move out and before they could move forward, they would need to hear and embrace a new story, a story of their creator that would reshape their thinking and understanding what it means to be human. Now, unfortunately, much has not changed when it comes to embracing false narratives. Much like the Israelites needed a reminder of God's story, so do we today. Too often, God's people have bought into the secular understanding of our human existence. For us to move forward and be the people God has called us to be, we must embrace the true story, God's story, of what it means to be human. Now, as we looked at the first chapter of Genesis, we unfolded creation And really, we need to understand that that first chapter is the big picture. It's the chronological account that Moses gives us of creation. And as we move today into the second chapter, we're going to look at creation again. But Moses is going to take us into a little more detail. And it's also called the logical account, if you will, designed to set the stage for what happens in chapter 3. In Genesis 2, Moses helps us understand the importance and he emphasizes the importance of right thinking, of proper thinking. Paul speaks about this in the 12th chapter of Romans in verse 2 when he says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by how? Transfer, changing the way you think, the renewing of your mind. You see, it's not just about doing the right thing. You have to change your thinking. Godly thinking leads to godly living. And Genesis 2 helps us embrace right thinking, the right story, the true story. Now, there's four themes in the second chapter of Genesis, three of which we're going to talk about today. Really, there's three questions. And the first is, why are we here? The second, what are we to do? And the third, how are we to live? So if you have your Bibles today or you want to open your app on your phone, do that. They're going to put it on the screen behind as well. But Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 7. 
Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now, we talked about this actually a few weeks ago when we looked at the sanctity of life. We understood, we opened God's word that we are the Imago Dei. We are created in God's image. And in Genesis 2, Moses gives us a little more detail. It's not only we are created in God's image, but the verse we just read says that God breathed into man. Now, we understand that God is spirit. And the difference between humanity, the difference between you and I and animals are that God's spirit was passed from him through us. So creation, God's creation of man and women are different. So the first theme is that God created us. When we look at the question, why are we here? God created us to relate to him. He created humanity for relationship with God. Now Moses emphasizes this in an incredible way through language. In the first chapter of Genesis, when he refers to the creator God, he uses the word Elohim in Hebrew, which Elohim paints a picture of a distant creator of an all-powerful God. That word is used throughout scripture over 2,700 times. But Moses changes it in chapter 2. The verse we just read in 7 said, Then the Lord God formed. So rather than just saying, God formed, he uses the word Lord. In your Bible, it's probably all caps. And he puts a word, Moses does, Yahweh Elohim. And that word Yahweh also means Jehovah. And there is a personal connection that's tied to it. So Moses is now saying, look, we were created in God's image, but this isn't just a distant, powerful, creative God who snapped his fingers and put us in existence. No, this is a personal God who desires to have relationship with us. It's the same Yahweh Elohim that was used in Exodus 3 in the burning bush experience when God's presence came and spoke to Moses. It's the same Yahweh Elohim that is found in that Moses writes in the 25th chapter of Leviticus when he says, I will live among you. I will not despise you. I will walk among you. Moses is saying that this Yahweh Elohim is not someone who's distant, but he walks with us and he desires to be in relationship with us. It's also used in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which um, Jewish people know as the Shema. They pray this prayer once in the morning and in the evening. Jesus would have prayed this prayer when he was here on earth that says, Listen, O Israel, the Yahweh is our Elohim, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. God created, created us as relational beings to relate to him. Moses was telling the Israelites, this very creator, relationship God, he's the God that brought us out of Egypt. Now, in a false narrative, in a false story, today science would tell us that we have descended from apes by chance. And if you believe that story, that interpretation of history, it will drastically affect the way that you think and the way you live. You see, 
Embracing that cuts you off from a relationship with an all-powerful yet very personal creator who made you in his image. It will rob you of the very significance of meaning in your life. This false narrative says that you were created by chance. It would be like Webster's Dictionary being created by an incidental explosion at a printing factory. We were not created by chance. The true story, God's story, says that truth in mankind was created with intentionality and purpose, that we were created in our maker's image to glorify him and to enjoy his presence. In understanding that God is spirit, and he imparted that spirit into his creation for the purpose of relationship. It's also interesting that the words used there, formed, has the picture of a potter, an artist, shaping clay. Each and every one of us have the image of God and his spirit living in us. And we were created with intentionality. So why are we here? Humanity is here for relationship with God. Here's the second theme. It's found in verse 15. The Lord God, this Yahweh Elohim, placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. The second theme is that God created us to engage in productive work. Now, some people think of paradise as a place where you lie in a hammock and you never lift a finger. And I'll be honest, for those of us that are here today, it's 20 degrees outside and that sounds like paradise right now. But that's not the paradise that God was talking about. God planted a garden and he placed Adam there to cultivate it and to keep it. There was a physical job before the fall. Now, prior to that, God also had assigned Adam the work of naming animals which is a mental job. Thus, before the fall, God gave man both physical and mental labor as legitimate responsibilities. Work itself is not the curse, I'm sorry to tell you. (laughs) Even though we now work under the curse, there is value in working to provide for our basic needs. All work is valued and should be in service to God. Did you catch that? He created Adam to do physical work and mental work. There are some of you here today that work phenomenal. You are incredibly gifted with your hands. You can build and carve and craft and connect and weld and mold and you have construction-minded thinking and you are great at that. I am not. (laughs) But God gave that gift to you to do is to service unto the Lord. There are others of you like me who aren't, but God, he gave you other gifts. You think, you speak, you write, you can see things that others don't. Maybe you're an artist or a musician. God also gave you that gift and ability to do as service and worship unto the Lord. So whether you're a welder, an engineer, a construction worker, or a doctor, or a teacher, or a stay-at-home dad, or stay-at-home mom who works to keep your home safe and Raising children, all of that is productive work and should be done in service and worship to the Lord. Painting another word picture, those words to tend and watch 
throughout the Bible are often tied to service under the Lord, not just agricultural labor. However, in our materialistic culture, work is often reduced to a simple function of a means of attaining more things or finding one's own self-fulfillment. Work no longer has a transcendent purpose as a means of serving and loving God. And it's no wonder then that many are questioning the very meaning of work. You see, what you do is not your identity. The Israelites for generations were slaves and Moses was saying, you are not what you do. You are not a brick builder. God created you for more. And the reverse is true because so many in our society who climb up the corporate ladder and who succeed in that work find their identity. And Moses and Jesus is telling us today that you are, your identity is not your work. But what you do matters as long as it is done in service and worship to the Lord. And that's the true story that we need to embrace today. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Colossians when he, wor- when he wrote, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So what are we to do? Humanity is to engage in productive work unto God. We're created for relationship with him. And we're created to engage in productive work as worship unto the Lord. And here's the third theme. Verse 16. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. God created us. To be morally responsible to him. Human beings do not have moral autonomy. The presence of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Would have reminded Adam. That he was not his own. And that he was responsible to his maker at all times. God's creatures are to discover the difference of right and wrong. Good and evil by relating everything to God, not themselves. When man ate the fruit, he began to do what God does, to relate everything to himself. When man began to think of himself as the center of the universe, he became like God. But it was all a lie because man is not the center and cannot be the center of the universe. You had a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those two trees represent God as being the center of it all. God is the giver of life. We also know what good and evil is based upon God's character and who he is. So in the center is God. We know what good and evil is based upon the character of God. If something reflects God's image, if it reflects his character, then it is good. If something does not reflect God's character, does not represent who he is, then it is evil. But here's what happened. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they took God out of the center and they placed themselves. And so now in our culture, man is in the middle going, that's good, that's bad, this is evil, that's good. Are you with me? Man is not the center. God is the center and that's how we determine what is good and evil. Distinguishing between good and evil is an insight that only belongs to God. 
It is a divine prerogative and a divine gift, and humanity cannot insist on the possession of such insight. To insist on taking it is to push your way into God's realm and attempt to be like him. Now with that, God also created each and every one of us with the freedom to choose. You and I are not puppets and robots. God created us with his spirit, but with that spirit came the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose that we will obey that which is good or that we will disobey and follow that which is evil. If you're married today, if your spouse were to ask you, honey, why do you love me? If my response to my wife is, well, because God told me that's what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) How many know it's not going to be a good afternoon in the Hannah house? (laughs) Why? Because with love comes freedom. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. So when he created us to show his love, he created us in his image with the ability to accept his ways or to reject his ways. With love comes great freedom. And the false story, the false narrative is that man is the center And that he became like God by deciding what is right and wrong. But the true story, God's story, the right narrative is that God is the center of the universe. That it is he who defines right and wrong. And what happens is, as it said in our text, that the moment they ate from that tree, they died. Now physically, they didn't die immediately. Their bodies ultimately did end in death, their physical bodies. But spiritual death happened immediately. And when we disobey God, it separates us from him, which is spiritual death. So how are we to live? Humanity is to be morally responsible to God. So we understand today then that the wrong operating system, if you will, the false narrative, the wrong story, The false story is that we were created by chance to work tirelessly for material gain and to define our own way of living. But today we should know that based on God's word, the right story, the true story is that God created us to relate to him, to engage in productive work and to be morally responsible to him. Jesus said it best when he said, I am am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Next week, we're going to continue in Genesis 2 and look at the true story of human sexuality and marriage. Let us pray. Father, there's a lot of uninstalling software we need to do in our thinking. I would love to say that it is only the world that has a false narrative or story. But as we see too often, God's people can forget why we are here, what we are to do, and how are we to live. I pray that would not be the case with us. That your spirit would do the work in our minds 
in our thinking, understanding that when our thinking is right, we can be transformed and it leads to godly living. So help us embrace, rewire it in us that we know we were created in your image, that you are the center of that which is good and you determine what is right and wrong and that you have called us to be productive in the diversity of gifts that are in this room, that we do those things not for a boss, not for material possession, but we do it as service and worship unto you. Let it be so in us. In your name we pray, amen.